0: Welcome to Whitefield's Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. So good to be here this morning. I uh, we were singing and worship, and then all of a sudden Sid came in. I was like, "Oh, all right, here we go." And <laughs> it was it was refreshing to hear that the beautiful worship of God's people today and. Uh, the, the opportunity that the creator of all things is giving us is profound, and no level of emotion could ever articulate what God does for us. No level of crying and beating our chest or quietly meditating in silence can ever truly get us that place until one day, of course, when this earthly body is transformed and, and we've taken over uh, heaven, and we are there with with our beautiful Creator and Savior in His fullness. There's a, I can tell you this: the hardest thing about public speaking, and maybe those who've done it know, it's thinking you probably could make it without having to go to the bathroom, and then realizing you really got to go. So, <laughs> so you pray for me. No, uh, just kidding. Uh, we had a really great word last week with with Brother Michael McSwain and in the context of what he spoke about was that we are warriors, that we have armor of God while we are here. And and that is very, very relevant and it is very true. And as I was preparing for this, even before he spoke, I was praying about it and I was kind of taking that, that warrior context because that's where we're at. We currently are in the process of dominating where we are and who we are in Christ on this earth. And as I began to pray, I said, Ziggy, Play John Coltrane Radio on Pandora. Now, for those that know John Coltrane, great. For those that don't, jazz. Oh, I love jazz. And I'll just listen to it for hours, the good stuff. Not, not Kenny G. Sorry, not to offend. But I'm talking, you know, <laughs> the old stuff, the good stuff. And I began to think about the law of God. And I was thinking about the warrior spirit and what, and, and what Brother Michael was talking about. And, and I began to think about how at one point God told me in my life, and he shared me through, through, through different experiences. He said, Johnny, everybody is David. You're David. When you accept that, you get it. It's going to really throw you. But everybody is David. And as I've contemplated that and looked at that and prayed over that, Lord, what does it mean for me to be David? He was a worshiping warrior king. He was first a shepherd and a worshiper. That's where he began. And I went back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And the title of of today's theme is Mastering Liberty. Now, we find in Genesis chapter 1, 26, there's a verse there. But I actually want to go a little bit earlier to the very, very beginning. Because when I began to realize that my faith was more than me trying to just stumble through and figure it out and hopefully not upset this somewhat known God, but rather when I was able to go back to the beginning and remove the context of the tribe I grew up in. It's very important. It's a very important point in mastering liberty is being able to remove ourselves from the culture and the traditions and the tribe we grew up in and try to remove that and try to go to the beautiful gospel and go to the word of God as God intended it for it to be received i grew up reading genesis 1 this is king james version in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And I started listening to jazz. I don't don't think so. It's more like, because if you read other versions, it says that God hovered over the waters. He created the heavens, it was earth, it didn't have any shape to it yet, it was a canvas. And here comes God and all of his love, all of his creativity, and all of his imagination, and all of his awesomeness. And he goes, hmm, this is good. Let's do this. And then we get to Genesis 1, and he's looking over his creation. And he goes, he says So, so let's actually, I'm going to go back to verse 1. Sorry, I want to do this again. Because I wanted to, let's, rather what I had to do was remove myself and put myself in the context of God's intent. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Praise God, the creator, the loving God who hovered around it, pondered over it, laughed over it. There was no anger. There was no wrath. There was no judgment. There was no law. There was no covenant. It was God in all of his beautiful, creative glory and love. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and he looked at it and he goes, hmm, this is good. Let's, let's do this. And he created, and he began to pour himself into his creation. And we get to verse 26, and he says, you know what? Let us make man in our image, in the likeness of ourselves, and let them have dominion. Then, oh, how are we made like God? Well, the Trinity. Of course, the Trinity. That's, That's the big one, right? Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and we're like eggs. Eggs are... You know, you have the shell, you have the white, you have the yoke. We're kind of like God that way. Okay, okay, we go on. But when we think about being created in the image and the likeness of this creator who hovered and began to create, there's more to it than just the Trinity. And I was like, well, how am I in God's likeness? How am I like him and in his image? And how do I have dominion? And I began to think about the Trinity, and, and I realized that we have a, a soul, we have a body, and we have a spirit or a mind. And that all three of them are 100% Johnny Furlong. All of them, 100%. But my brain, my mind, my spirit at this point in time cannot be separate from my body or my soul. And I realized that the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost—that's it's, it's, how we're made in His image. You don't have to worry about eggs and trying to think of weird analogies. It's—it's—it's. It's, it's- the makeup of who we are, it's our essence. Uh, that my body is 100% me. My mind and my spirit and my emotions and my identity and my temperament, that is, that is 100% me. And, and my soul, which is eternal, which will dwell forever in the presence of the Lord, it also is 100% me. He is 100% God all the time, except he can be separate. He can be the Father, he can be the Son, and he can be the Holy Ghost. But then it began to get a little bit deeper because if we were made in his image and made in his likeness and made to have dominion, what does that mean? And, of course, we go back to the, to the warrior. Well, yeah, because of sin. But if we really look at, at the beginning, and don't flip the slide yet, at the law of original intent, we, we can go back to that and see what God's heart was. You can see what his intent for you was before he ever created you. You can go back before the fall and realize that our dominion is not about war. It's not about battle. It's not about death. It's not about conquering. We have that, and that's who we are as part of our identity here on earth, but that is not the original intent. The original intent was for us to be worshipers first to write music with the Lord, to write our story and let him put into it and feed into it and minister to it. And together we in a perfect body, mind and soul would work with this beautiful, perfect creator and we'd get to do things and it would go outside of the Garden of Eden and we were gonna be industrious and creative and we're gonna take over the world but we'd be strong, powerful individuals but yet even stronger communities, greater, powerful families. That was his intent from the very beginning, was for our families to be beautiful and whole. For our children not to have to suffer at the hands of violence or neglect or abandonment. For adultery and fornication to tear apart the love between a husband and a wife. That wasn't his intent. We're first worshipers. So what does it mean to take this this dominion being made in his image now i do want to make reference to verse 27 he says male and female so when i say man it's mankind it's all of us we're all equal especially in christ <laughs> that's why i had a little note up there male and female <laughs> when we look at the nature of god it was more than just the trinity I want to know his character. I want to know what it means to have a father like him and what he is. And we find in Galatians 5.20 through 2.23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy, peace, long-suffering. It is gentleness. It is goodness. It is faith. It is meekness. It is temperance. Against such, there is no law. How could there be a law against the character and the nature of God? (laughs) And so as I began to look at this, you know, what Mike McSwain said last week, he says that, that the goal was to have a high view of what is really going on and the part we play in it. And looking at who this great, amazing God is and the power of his Trinity, the power of his dominion and the power of his character. That is his original intent. It is more than just simply the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But let's take a moment here. Will you all close your eyes with me? I normally don't have people do this. But just close your eyes for a moment. And think about what being in his likeness and image and having mastery or dominion to live in that fullness means to you. What what does it mean for you to live in the fullness of the likeness of God in that dominion and mastery. Here's a better question. What does it mean to him? He loves you so much. And it took me years, even though I loved Jesus and, and loved God, I didn't, it's like I didn't really know God. In the religious environment I grew up in, Jesus was our saving grace, whoo, but the church of God got you to heaven, (laughs) right? And they cut out who God was. And a few years ago, Jesus came down. He said, I wanna really introduce you to the Father. Who is this God? And what does it mean to have this mastery to be like him? It is his desire for him for us, excuse me, through him to be able to understand how we will be able to master and take what he has given us and apply it to our absolute day-to-day op- daily-day living. Like Brother Mike Maswang, boy, that was powerful last week. He was way—he said fifty thousand foot view. He was a little higher than that, but it was good. We need that, folks. We need it. We need to stop being so earthly minded sometimes, and it's okay to think big. It's okay to look and muse and meditate at the bigger picture. And what he brought to us, it was was this grand, massive design plan of eternity. And it was awesome because he kept taking us to eternity because even at the end of this teaching today, it is about two things. It is about getting into the New Testament and finding Jesus Christ and sitting at his feet and really learning what it means to be like Jesus and following that, but also to be able to make the kind of choices every single day that gets us to that eternity. Wouldn't you like that? Say, uh, to, to be able to say, this is how I deal with my day-to-day. This is how I am mastering my liberty. Is First of all, I'm remembering who I am in God remembering in the likeness in which he made me, remembering his character, and remembering that he has given us this mastery or this dominion over creation, over the flesh, the earth, the creatures, the science, the physical, as well as the spiritual. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. So today, as we look at what mastering liberty means, at the very heart of it, it is it is ultimately temperance. So what does temperance mean? Temperance means self-control. Okay, self-control. Yep. What is that? Well, it's usually when your body tells your mind, I'm not listening to you, and goes and does off what itself by itself. That's the opposite. Self-control is when the mind and the spirit bring the body under subjection to the law of God's love, to the law of God's love, to the law of his character. Because we find in Galatians 5, and 23, if you look at those fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, peace, the long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, controlling one. So what is he telling us here? That the fruit of the spirit, the character of God, the promise to you and I is that we have the promise to have self-control. I don't know about you, but I need that. (laughs) Right? Thank you, Jesus. Because it said those in the Old Testament looked across and saw the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ, and they longed for it, they hoped for it. They, that's why they were even willing to give them own lives for it, even though they had not yet attained that promise. It said that they looked and they saw the joy and that promise, and that's what pushed them ahead. And, and so we have this situation where, where we now live on this side of the promise, where before they had a habitational, uh, a, a habitational relationship with God. Excuse me, an individual relationship with God. I, pardon, visitational. Sorry, I should stick to my notes. A visitational relationship with God where he would move on. This person, they'd give the word. He'd move on. This person, give the word. Then comes Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you want to be my friend? yeah, I want to be your friend. He goes, cool, let's go. And they started on this journey. It was before the covenant. It was before circumcision. It was before Israel was a nation. God was just looking for somebody who wanted to be his friend. He wanted to find somebody who was willing to move outside of their culture and their tribe and what they thought for sure was all right and correct and move into a realm in a new place, a city that is built by God that has eternal foundations. And then comes along the promise to Abraham to his family, Isaac and Jacob, and to all of their children, the Jews, the Israel. And so he was he was visitational, and then he moved and he would visit within Israel through the high priest, through the temple, right. But he wants to be, and he made a way for himself to be habitational with us again. My wife and I have had this this biblical conversation going on, which is awesome. Husbands, wives, talk to, talk to each other about the Bible. It's really cool. And we're talking about when, in the Old Testament, when Israel was leaving Egypt, and he had greatly shown his love. His willingness and wantingness to habitate, to be with them, to love on them. He protected them from all the terrible plagues of Egypt. And he, 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 he blessed them, and they, they prospered despite being uh, pushed down by, by secular man. It said that when, when Egypt would put twice the work on them, they'd get twice as strong. And they'd multiply twice as fast. Right? And so he, the whole time in Egypt, he's showing them what he wants from them in a relationship. So then he leads them out into the wilderness, and there's this giant mountain that God, it's all smoke and flames, and God habitates and visits down on that mountain. And that's where Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments, et cetera. But do you realize that the first person that was invited was everybody? Everybody was invited to that mountain on fire. It wasn't just Moses, and I didn't know that until she started talking, I was like, Wait, you're telling me that this awesome, powerful God actually said, come up, come up, all of you? He had already demonstrated his love. He had already demonstrated his law of original intent, that he wanted a people that he could love, that he could empower, that he could give glory, that they would then take that glory and give it back to him, and that they then would be a light to this world and they would care for the, for the heartless, uh, sorry, for, excuse me, for the homeless, for the orphans and for the widows and for the most vulnerable, while also holding to this law and love of God and living a life that was separate from the flesh and the separate from the decisions that created pain and suffering. Excuse me. I might get off a rip trail and jump back to there. So Paul said, hey, there's no telling what's gonna come out of this mouth. So you just go pray about it. (laughs) So we have this creator, seeing what his character's like, his love, his intentions. He wants everybody to come to the mountain because then when Jesus died, he, that opened the opportunity for him to be habitational with each and every single one of us. I needed that. I still need him to habitate me. I cannot do this on my own. I don't want to do it on my own. There's a lot this body can do. There's a lot this mind can do. We need to to remember what God has empowered our physical bodies to do to be used for him. That's later. But he is now habitational. Habitational. He is now able through the blood of Jesus Christ and then the empowering of the Holy Spirit fill these earthen vessels that we once again no longer, uh, now we, we, we once again can be like it was in the law of original intent at the beginning with the garden where with the law of original intent, we can get back to the place where there is relationship. Go ahead, next slide, please. And we can actually have a, the ability to, to meditate with him. We have the ability to eat with him. We have the ability to cry to him. We have the ability to get mad and angry and say, I don't, right? He has given us the ability through Jesus Christ to become habitational and get us back to that law of original intent. To where now we don't have to just surrender to our flesh. Now we don't have to just surrender to sin is a common phrase that we hear and we've heard our whole lives. But rather, through Jesus Christ, he's been able for us to master all that he has put into our hands, both physically and spiritually. And he wants to habitate a people who are powerful. Let me ask you, what do giants defend and protect? Do they defend drought land? Do do they defend dirt that's not worth anything? No. The giants, they take, they steal, they kill, and then they hoard up all the good stuff. Isn't that what the enemy did? Doesn't it say he's a thief? Doesn't it say that he's a robber, that he's a liar, that he's a killer? And that when Adam and Eve failed in their decision-making process and allowed their fear to get off onto something different than God, the enemy was able to entice them and able to in- and just bring them in and cause them to fall into this, this state of, of uncleanness. Anyway, so his intent is for us to be powerful, to habitate that power, And for us to have that power and dominate both the spiritual and the physical. We'll get back to that. Two realms, the spiritual and the physical. He also empowered us when we were created, but now under the law of original intent through the fruit of the spirit, that knowledge is a seed to original thought. You know, animals can't do that. Now, my dog is smart. She's a little multi-poo. Some of you have seen her. She's adorable. I don't care. I'm a big, big, bald guy. I love talking to her like she's a little baby. She's my, I love that dog. She's so smart. She made up a game all by herself. We had nothing to do with this. We give her a cookie, a doggy cookie, and there's your cookie. She takes it, and she runs, and she hides it in numerous places around the house, and she'll come back to us, start barking at us like Lassie, oh, 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 and what, what, what? And she'll lead us down, and then she'll go, and he'll get her cookie and show it to us, and then she'll go hide it again. <laughs> right? Isn't that adorable? Right? And she looks like a little black teddy bear. She's just a dog. We have been given the ability that with new knowledge, new information, it's a seed for new thoughts. Who here watched Star Trek in the 90s? Okay. No no judgment here. They had really cool pads they walked around on the Enterprise with, punching buttons. And now we have the iPad. We think it, we can do it. We think it, we can do it. That's the power of the image and the likeness and the dominion of the creator who put his breath inside of you. If you think it, you can create it. Now we're limited with our sin nature, we're limited with some of the physical world, but when it comes to his grace, when it comes to his truth, when it comes to the relationship between you and him, when it comes to through the struggles and the suffering and the fighting and the loss and the traumas, we can still develop thoughts that create righteous actions, good things that produce love that produce joy and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and meekness and all the wonderful things that we long for that resonates naturally to us, yet sometimes feel so far away from our reach. Have a new thought. That word repent, this means have a new thought. It doesn't mean you you get yourself buried in the altar for for an hour and a half worrying about how you're not making it, but instead you get to spend an hour and a half in the altar fighting the enemy, worshiping the creator, knowing that even though we have struggles, even though we don't make the best decisions, that his grace and his truth and his love as a father is still going to put up with it because he gave his son Jesus Christ because he wants to habitate with us. So here we have this knowledge that knowledge is a seed to original thoughts. That means He He gave us wisdom. He gave us His wisdom. It says there in James, any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God freely. He's not gonna, He's not gonna smack your hand, He's not gonna go, What do you mean you don't have wisdom? <laughs> you don't have wisdom for this? How many fathers talk to your sons that way? All right? I had to learn how to talk to my son. I had to learn how to, how to talk to him and impart wisdom, right? Impart wisdom to him, mentor him, disciple him. When he was little, I disciplined him. But now he should be at the age where I disciple him. And then they share things and teach me things too, <laughs> right? So a big part of what I'm talking about today as far as dominating the physical, and we'll get back to this a little bit, and I appreciate your rabbit trails, but when it comes to me, I gotta say it. Is how you relate to your earthly father. Let's talk about dad issues for a minute, shall we? God is not your earthly father. Can we just get that out on the table now? God is not my earthly father. And how I related to my earthly father was how I related to him for years. Not understanding that the mastery of my liberty freed me from the sins and the traumas my father and abandonment caused me. Okay, anyone here who doesn't have mommy or daddy issues, wow, good, praise God. (laughs) Right? It's not that, but let me put it this way all of us. Present some form of trauma on our children and on one another. That's why Jesus said the daily prayer is to forgive me my offenses as I forgive others. Because we're stuck in a cycle outside of the law of original intent, because our brains and our spirits have been traumatized by others in a sinful world that then our brain and our spirit and our traumas and our triggers then pour out on other people. And so, Lord, forgive me because. I'm growing in Christ, but inevitably I'm going to offend somebody. Inevitably, I'm going to use my power and my liberty to make a decision that is not going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, but rather it's going to produce the fruit of the flesh, which is anger and envy and strife and murder and adultery and fornication and witchcraft and and addictions. So those are the fruit of the flesh. Those are never good. They're never okay. They're not part of the physical earth that God created, and they're not part, certainly not part of the good fruit of the Spirit. So we have to keep those separate. There's the natural earth in creation, there's those things that are created from sin that are never okay. And so, with all of this, I'm going to have to move on here. With all these things that He's He's given us the knowledge, is seed of original thought. He's given us wisdom. He designed us with choice, power to bring thoughts to reality, worship and create to bring God glory and relationships. That's why we were made in his image, is so that we could do all the things that he does. The challenge, go into the next slide, please. The challenge for me, my testimony, what is sin? What is it? I understand. Oh, adultery. No, 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 no. That's fruit. That's fruit of sin. Oh, okay. Well, disbelief. Okay. I get that. Unbelief is sin. Absolutely. I get that. But ultimately, what tools that were built inside of us by God for his glory that were not sinful, did the enemy have to use, because he had nothing else, in order to try to get us to decide to fail God? He took our fear and our ability to choose. and I got to thinking about that. So God, sin isn't me saying some cultural adjective that's considered a cuss word. What it really is is the spirit in my heart towards people of anger. I know lots of people. I know some good people who I dearly, dearly, dearly love. And they are very much in love with Jesus. But they also really get stuck on this list of what to do and how to do it. And they get lost in the spirit of the law. And and so the question is, well, I want to be careful here, <laughs> right? Whether it's the physical or the spiritual, what is this sin? What are these tools? And this is what the Lord gave me. Simple. It's the fear of not having or not knowing. So if my decisions aren't based on the cultural tribal teaching, that I just assume everything is good and right, I can I can be anywhere in the world and talking to any culture, and any tribe, and I don't have to sit there and nitpick what in their culture is not good. Now I said. Don't, don't twist my words. Adultery, fornication, witchcraft. No, 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 no. None of that. That's never allowed. That's not okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about these cultural, tribal things that we as humans use and, to, and live among in earth that God gave us to use. So I can go into any tribe and deliver the message of Jesus Christ. And when they're like, well, what is sin? It's the fear of not having or knowing something. That you take the fear that was designed to go before God in worship, in full trust, in obedience, and the reality he's given you. That's, that's what you do. But if all of a sudden you're afraid, well, I, I'm not like God, because that's what happened. If you go back to the scriptures, the enemy in Genesis 3, he goes, has God said? Oh, what you don't realize is you'll actually become like him. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to get them some new knowledge. He was trying to impart new knowledge into them because he knows knowledge creates thoughts which create individual ideas which can become reality. That's the power we have as being created in this image of God. Not any other creature can do what we do. It's amazing. And so he was able to get in there and he was able to manipulate Eve and, and twist her to where suddenly he started introducing new thoughts. And suddenly these new thoughts created new temptations and new ideas. And suddenly she was afraid she wasn't going to be like God. She was afraid of being ignorant. She's afraid of not knowing, afraid of not having. And so she took her fear, which makes you just serve whatever it is you fear, and she turned it to that, and she ate the fruit, and you know what? Knowledge was imparted of evil, was imparted into her brain. And then... So- off to the races. Here we are 6,000 years later, we're a mess. So when it comes to living in the power and the liberty of Jesus Christ and in dominion, it's not about being afraid of creation, and it's not about being afraid of the enemy. It's not being afraid of anything. Because if you're afraid there's a devil in your toy box for your kids, then you're afraid of that, and that is your God, and that will welcome the enemy, not the piece of plastic. What will invite the enemy is your fear. What invites him is your anxiety and your mistrust that God has given you dominion. Now, if you want to get some toys out of your kids' toy box, do that. No judgment. But there's not a demon, specifically a new demon assigned to every single box of cereal that has a a monster on it. I know that sounds crazy, but I've known people who I love dearly. We can't buy cocoa puffs, chalk cocoa puffs. As, I don't know, they had, had a Frankenstein on the front of the box. One had Count Chocula. Those are, oh, those are evil. You can't let that cereal box in your house. You're inviting the devil. No, I don't think there's a bunch of little demons hanging onto the cereal boxes down the conveyor belt, you know. Where are you going? I'm going to dismiss. Where are you going? No, I don't. No, it's creation, Paul says. It's, it's creation. It's neutral. It's paper. It's ink. Don't let it have dominion. Don't let it cause fear in you. Rather fear God, for fear is the beginning of wisdom. Taking that fear and and, and just turning it back to God and then using the reality he's given us to make a good decision. This was crazy about Eve. She had everything in her face. She had all the fruit. She had a good husband. She had had everything. And you know, my walk with Christ, sometimes battles are battles of attrition. Means it takes a long time. Yes, he's given dominion. Yes, he's given liberty. Yes, he's given power. Yes, he's given the fruit of the spirit but sometimes it's through the attrition, through the suffering, through the trauma, through the losses that he saw ages ago, that in those he brings his spirit and there he brings his reality and his truth. I faced a time in my life where, and everybody has trials, so I was a point in my life where my heart My heart physically hurt from what happened. And and I had heard, oh, that hurts the heart. No, it physically hurts. Stomach hurts. Can't eat, can't sleep, can't breathe. And all you can do is rely on your father. And yet that was perfect. It was so perfect. Because when I took the fear because of Jesus... And I, and I went to the father with that fear and I said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you I love you because you're my father suddenly his reality became what I saw if Eve just would have trusted God she would have kept seeing the entire reality but instead she got off on her head in some speculation some imagine, crazy imagination denying the very reality in front of her we're tempted to do that too especially in the battles of attrition, when we're really in the, in the trenches and we have our full armor of God and we're worshiping and we're crying and we're fasting. And, it's, and, and hopefully it's not because we're trying to get over some sin. That's why we're doing that. No, Jesus died. He covered the sin so that we can just have relationship with the Father that though we are still learning to be children and growing up Him, even though we still have to face the afflictions of this earth upon us, we still have the ability to see His reality. So whenever you're up against something, you have to say, what am I fearing of not having or knowing here? Because when I started applying that principle, things got really much more peaceful in my spirit. I think about when Paul was talking, and I'm sorry there's some scripture references I, I don't have all up, but Paul is talking about what do you do with the, the meat that's been offered to the idols? He says, well, don't go in the temple. And pray over the meat with them when they pray to their false God. No, no, don't do that. Don't because you're gonna throw everybody off. You hear you're you know following Jesus, and now you're in some pagan temple and you're praying their prayers and that meat. No, they're praying that meat and they're they're thanking a false God for that. Don't don't do that. Okay. So what does the religious do? No meat at all. Whether it was done by the pagans or the Jew down the street, just no meat, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that in the end times the doctrines of demons are going to be those that are going to try to try to strip you from what's natural. They're going to try to tell you you shouldn't marry and you you have to can't eat this and you can't do that and you every little thing is a, is some travesty that's going to be bad for you. When in reality what he's asking us to do is walk and act like people of God and not afraid of the world, not afraid of creation and not afraid of the enemy and walking in his reality. Let's go to mastering inheritance. I'm going to go over these. Uh, got a few minutes left here. I want to touch base here about mastering our inheritance. It goes back to what I talked about, about God and, and how we relate to our fathers. And everyone's like, my wife, she's like, why do you have this music stuff? Because I'm not doing the warrior theme. Remember, we're, war- we're worshipers. We make music. So that's what, that's what that is. what oh, oh. you all. The reason why is because I was thinking about the law of God. And, and everyone loves to think God is like a military law. And, and it is in, in some ways because we're in the sinful world, but it's like rigid, rigid. Really, no, it's like music. God's law is like music. You have very, very strict rules in music, don't you? You, you have to play the same notes, but you can play a sharp and someone else can do a flat. or you know. So there are very strict laws within music, but have you ever listened to jazz? It doesn't sound like they're following any musical rules, but it's beautiful. They're following a lot of rules. And it took them a lot of years to master how to make it sound like that. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to master our song to where we can be all... Oh, over the place. We could be here. We could be there. We can take on the world. We don't have to just wait for the church to delegate a responsibility. Husbands and wives, be like that Adam and Eve. Find what you both love. Find what you both care about. And then take that and go and find and beat Jesus out to the world. And I guarantee you, this church will find a way to support you. That's how the church functions. That's how the body works. You are Adam and Eve first. You are together. You are a team. That is part of who you inherit, of your inheritance. Adam had Eve. Eve had Adam. Anyways, going back to our inheritance, <laughs> our purpose. I've oh, got so many scriptures. Um, I don't. I don't mean that. I just. It's just like you know. You go and you're like, oh, this scripture. This scripture. <laughs> In Romans chapter 12, I'm actually going to turn there and It's really good for us Gentiles. Who's here a Gentile? I'll raise your hand. All right? I, I'm pretty sure all of you. So that's cool. Any Jews? Cool. All great. We're all one in Christ. Romans is a great book for us. Romans is a really good book for, for Gentiles. So we get we get thinking that, well, because we're in America, we've been so uh, homogenized with the Judeo-Christian God that we just kind of think we're Christian. But in, in, in reality, uh, anyways, well, I want to be prudent with my time. Romans chapter 12. I'm beseeching you. I love the King James Version. I grew up on it, even though I read a whole bunch of different versions, and like the Passion Version is awesome. I, I feel like I'm getting back at the devil a little bit, because this version was used as just this dry academic thumper stick for my whole life. So now I like to read it the way they would just hate it. I beseech you, therefore, brothers. The word beseech is like in the deepest part of me. I'm crying out to you. I'm imploring you. Brother Vic, he does this from the pulpit. You see the spirit get on the speakers. It's because there's this fire, because we've been touched with this reality of God. And we're like, this purpose that God has is amazing. I am beseeching you, please, don't go away and forget what you hear today. Don't be like the man who looks in the mirror, Paul says. And then he goes and he forgets what manner of man he is. And we think, oh yeah, he goes out and he's mean to people. No, you just forget who you are. You forget your identity and your purpose. When you look into the word of God, it is not to sit there and point out where all of your blemishes are and where you're failing. It is rather to show, that's my son. When I look in the mirror, I can say, that right there is the son of God. That right there belongs to Jesus. He had to do that to me for like three months. It was driving me crazy. He'd wake me up. He'd make me sit there and tell myself. Because what I did is I found this poster. And it was a poster about who Jesus is. I am the redeemer. I'm the defender. I'm a king. We are in Christ. God sees us as he sees Christ. So everything Jesus is, I am. Everything Jesus is, you are. Jesus even said so. He did. Because he said, hey, I'm the son of God. And the religious leaders, that's blasphemy. You're comparing yourself to God. Didn't, didn't even the Old Testament say that we are little Elohim, little judges, little gods? <laughs> that's the actual translation. That's who you and I are. And so when I started trying to figure out who, my, who I was in my inheritance, I had to go back to the beginning, had to go back to the generation, like, like uh, uh, they're the, the princess bride, right? To go back to the beginning, Vizini. I had to go back to the beginning, figure out who God was, figure out who I was supposed to be, all through that law of original intent, and then that helped me start to master my inheritance. Because now, rather than being afraid of what is sin, what isn't sin, what do I do? How do I do it? Instead, I direct my heart. Where's my fear? Do I fear not having or knowing that it's making me be consumed by this? Or can I live in the beautiful reality of God, of who I am, that I have dominion both over my spirit, over my soul, over my mind, and over creation, and everywhere I put my foot belongs to me. And it belongs to you. When you go to your home today, you open that door, this belongs to me. Because Jesus gave it to you. God the Father gave it to you. It's yours. I beseech you, brethren. By the mercies of God, oh, that you present your bodies this living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love Romans for us Gentiles, and it's good for the Jews too. But Galatians is really good for the religious or the Jews too. We're all the same, but these Romans speaks to Gentile thought and culture. Galatians speaks to Jewish culture and the law, and we can't get ourselves mixed up. Sometimes we make ourselves Jews, and we try to get it all caught up in the Old Testament and all this. No, there's just certain things that are, belong to Israel. They're not ours. We don't need them. We have Jesus. We have the New Testament. We have the Holy Ghost. We don't need their lo- the laws and all the traditions. But the problem is they were the epitome of the evil sin that comes from the religious side of sin. And us Gentiles were really, really good with the fleshly sins and all of our ignorance, all of our unknowns. Think about that. Over the history of mankind, billions of people sitting in loincloths out in the desert. It's not that they didn't have a heart for God, and God recognized whoever had that faith towards him, and I'm not going to get into that. But in reality, we have to be able to remove ourselves both from religious tradition as well as from fleshly sin habits. Right? Whether you grew up in the church, never drink a sip of alcohol. That's great. Search your heart for religious sin. I was a witcher. I was a murderer. Good. Don't do those anymore. Come find the grace of Jesus. Take power of both the spiritual and the physical. That's what that means. To develop for our purpose, relating back to our fathers, it's how we are develop a friendship with God, this great I am, Adonai, Jehovah. Those all have different meanings. I love Adonai. Adonai is a great one. It means self-existing, passionate Lord. (laughs) Isn't that good? Isn't that wonderful? So the idea was to develop a friendship with this great I am, this Jehovah, to grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ like it talks about in 1 Timothy chapter four. As it says here in Romans 12, to be able to renew our minds by remembering that the core of our purpose is mastering our inheritance and our identity, which is makes up who we are. And if you have issues with how you relate to your father, it can get in the way with how you relate to God. But that's not your inheritance. That's not your identity. Your identity is found... By being able to find your individual voice, your individual calling, your individual love, your individual gift, your individual name. That's what I love about my purpose. That's what, and, and it's like I have it, you don't. No, I'm, I'm just sharing. Like, we all have this. Like, you get to talk to your purpose, to, to the Father, to you and him alone. But if how you related to your father of earth is affecting how you can relate to this powerful God, then that's where the power of Jesus can heal you. And that's where it goes back to get into the gospel of John and follow and dissect what Jesus said and how he said it and where he was when he said it. Who was he talking to? Because he teaches us about the father. Jesus had no doubt who he was. And we are expected to live in that same reality. Let's go to move um, mastering nature. We wind down. I talked about who this God is, his character, who we are, our dominion, our power, our liberty. Talked about mastering our inheritance, who we are, our purpose, not forgetting who we are when we, when we look in the mirror that you're a child of God made through the second Adam, Jesus. But then there's mastering nature. And, and I, I've touched on it a little bit here, but there's still this question of we still want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Like, I don't want to be all laughty dotty and go test God and just be so careless that I do something stupid and I hurt somebody or I, or I produce the wrong fruit, right? I don't want to stumble in sin. That's ignorance. That's not wisdom. And I don't want to be that way. And so as I, was, as I was approaching, I had this, you know, the fear of not having and the, and the fear of not knowing. And, and, and if what I'm about ready to do, will it produce the fruit of the spirit or will it produce the fruit of the flesh? Whew. Good template to go by. But sometimes it's a little more in depth than that because there are so many tribes, so many cultures, so many different and diverse um, meanings and celebrations and goods and bads in every single culture how are we supposed to go and go to these different places now we think like oh Africa I go to Africa how am I supposed to relate to them in Christ well how about just how about just a different demographic within your community how about just a different Facebook group <laughs> right that's a tribe sometimes all on its own and sometimes it's actions it's things in this world should I should I drink this should I do this? Should I not do that? And I grew up. You know, they were the perfect Pharisees because they would. There was this law that says like love God, and then from there they built like four thousand laws. You can't go to movies if you love God. You won't go to a movie because it's dark in there, and boys and girls kiss. Dead serious. Well, I had to take it a step further then, because I went to the arcade, and the arcade was dark. Oh, look at all these. And I was like fourteen. All these evil people in here in this dark arcade. Oh, boys and girls kissing. Oh, so I quit going to arcades too. And then one thing after another after another after another. And so before you know it, everything's wrong. Everything is like oh, it was mind-numbingly dreadful. So for me, I just broke it down to ten questions. I know that sounds like a lot. I didn't. I don't have them written, folks. But. This is my, my testimony. As I look at it, and my first question is, did God create it? Okay, cool. Yes or no? Did God create it? Is it a natural principle in my body, in my spirit, on the earth? Did God create it? Okay. If he made it, and he created it, and he created me, then why did he do that? you gotta go back to the law of original intent. It's obviously for good. It's obviously for his glory, right? So I'm looking at an activity. I'm looking at an object. I'm looking at anything in this world. Who made it? Does it naturally produce the fruits of the flesh and wickedness? Stay away from it, easy, reality, check it off. But what if it's just nature? What if it's just a thing that God actually made? And we can try to throw all of our reasons why it's not from God. Because of our culture and our tradition and because of our religion. But if we strip all that away and say, who made it? Why did he make it? Did he make it in me or did he make it in the earth? What was his intent before the fall of man? Okay. So if he made it and it was there before the fall of man and he gave it to me, then that makes it good. Is the enemy a liar? Yes. And a thief? Yes. So what has he stolen? The best. He's taken the best and he uses it. And he uses it to bring himself glory and to bring people into bondage. But it's the people that use those natural things to do that. But if he made it, why don't we get to take it back? Why can't we start reclaiming nature? Why can't we take back this earth and the things that God gave us in it? And some of you, I I get it, I'm trying to learn how to read crowds, I understand. You gotta talk to Jesus about this. I'm just telling you what he's he's asking me to share. Because inevitably, something is gonna come up that's gonna fit this pattern of questions. But I don't wanna get into specifics, because that's religious. Who made it? Why did he make it? Was it stolen? Do we get it back? What do we do with it when we get it back? do we use it for our own selfish reasons? do we use it for our own earthly good? as long as we're doing it under the lord and we're not and we're producing fruit of the spirit. so don't be scared of nature. don't be scared of creation. he gave it to us. he wants us to master this liberty not by hiding away in a cave waiting for god to come get us. he's looking for Yes, warriors, but he's looking for worshipers. He wants the worshipers that will walk around Jericho seven days in a row and who will shout and proclaim and trust and let that song go out and destroy the foundation and the strongholds that get built up into our spirit that we just can't seem to get over. First of all, worship the Lord. Trust that you are in Jesus Christ, that he is a loving, kind Father who wants to relate with you. And he's already given you the power to overcome whatever that is so that you can redeem your heart, so you can renew your mind, and that you can prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. I actually didn't get through all ten questions, but I think you got the point. The point is, ask questions. Talk to the Father. Don't be afraid of him. Don't be afraid of the thoughts you have. You're going to get thoughts that are like, oh, I shouldn't have that. And, and this is the thing. You have to control them, right? You have to take every thought into captivity, the Bible says. you got to capture that. That's what Mike was saying. Like, capture that. I like how he did that, too. But capture, sometimes it's not a capture release. All right? <laughs> right? Capture! Like, oh, oh. Everyone get, like a bird almost hits you in the head, and you're like, you think you're going to get hit by oh, throw it away. Sometimes we need to capture it. We need to make it our prisoner. We need to dwell on the principle of it. Dwell on the foundation of God's truth and beat it. And don't let it keep us. Don't let it continue to drive us down and continue to keep us out of our inheritance. Keep us from dominating and being masters of our own life. I'm not saying dwell on it to produce bad fruit, but sometimes you have to figure out why you have the thought. And you have to figure out what are you fearing of not having or not knowing that's creating and making it a temptation. And God has given you the power to think about it. He's given you the freedom in Christ to deal with it so that we can grow into the full stature and the measure of Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. That's our mastery. That's our dominion. And in closing, this takes us into our relationships. Mastering relationships, oh boy. Oh, the stories we could all tell about relationships, right? Let's go to Matthew chapter 22 as we close. down at verse 35, Matthew 22, 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? I love this. It's beautiful, folks. Oh, what we have that so much the world doesn't, they could just hear what we have. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. It definitely resonates with the law of original intent, doesn't it? And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and all the prophets. Everything is based on these two. But it's interesting because at this point, that's pretty much all they could handle. (laughs) Like love God with everything you are and love each other as yourselves. But let's face it, we're really bad at loving ourselves. And sometimes we treat people the way we love ourselves and it's really bad. So later on in communion, in John, Jesus that night when he's sitting at the table with them, he says, I have a new commandment for you. I want you to love each other the way I love you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Jesus. This is what mastering liberty is about. It's about being able to love God with your entire beautiful, purified, washed white soul and your traumatized brain. with all of its traumas, that all the struggles, and yet, in our body, all of it. He loves us, and he's designed us in his image. Who loves God more than God? We're made in his image. That means we get to love him with everything we are. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because God coming down and getting us back to that law of original intent... He has given us the power, the victory, and the dominion, the mastery to be able to love you and you to love me as he loves us. We want to be perfect? Yes. Our soul is perfect. It's washed clean in Jesus. But he didn't heal your mind when you got saved, did he? Nope. Did he heal all your traumas? Nope. Did he heal all? all the effects and consequences of all the terrible choices, this terrible, terrible, sinful place. No. Why? He's more powerful than that. He's more powerful than that. Oh, the devil messed him up. Oh, I guess I'm just going to have to heal him all at once. No. He's my redeemer. Now, when I walk in this world, this is the promise to us that when I walk in this world and I face temptation and sin and fears, I have the ability through the blood of Jesus Christ to make good decisions and to be able to move in a flow that is like the law of original intent to where I can be moved not only to conquer and have dominion over this earthly ecosystem that we live in, without it leading me to make bad decisions both religiously and fleshly, but he has also given me the ability to love people like the law of original intent, where our effects toward each other is not one that creates an offense that causes a forgiveness, but rather an engagement and relationship that focuses on worship and celebration and power and overcoming with one another so that we as individuals are mighty and strong, but together we are absolutely invincible, masters, powerful. Will you stand with me today? And This means in your relationships. Where does the enemy have a foothold in relationships in your life? Your spouse, and you, and your children? co-workers, your father, your mother. Or maybe you've been wrestling something quietly. You're just like working out your salvation of fear and trying real quiet. And it's a struggle. You're in the mud, you're in the blood. And every day it's like you're waking up just right in the middle of a bloody, bloody battle. The reality is we already come from a place of victory in Jesus. So it's a matter of making these decisions day by day, remembering who we are mastering it, not fearing anything but God. So that way we can truly experience what it means to be a Christian in this last generation. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our earthly minds can never even begin to really truly wrap around you, who you are until we get to see you in all of your fullness. And I thank you that you're a redeemer and that, that you didn't just wash our souls and then just wash our traumas, and but rather, Lord, you're taking what the enemy took from us. You're taking all the hurt and all the shame and all the pain and all the struggles and all the things that, that, that have carried us through this life where we look back and we used to feel shame. When we look back, and we used to feel anger. Look back and feel vengeance or rejection or sadness. Feel like we were ripped off. And I thank you, Lord, that you redeem every one of those moments in our mind. That you are willing to allow them to come to the forefront of our heart and that we in faith can bring it to you, not afraid of it, but to analyze it, to see where's your inheritance hidden inside of it. Where's the healing? Where's the power? Where's the dominion? I pray as we go forward, Lord, and we live in this life, redeem us every day. Every day, we have a promise that we can grow to the fullness of who you are, Jesus. That we can be mature, that we can be temperate, that we can produce actions and choices, Lord, that produce even more good fruit, while the bad fruit, that habit, dies more and more every day. Equip your people with power. Equip us with worship. Equip us, Lord, with faith and trust. And most of all, Lord, let us walk on the very foundation of your law, and that is your love. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.